a psalm about temptation. You know, I, we say things like this, Pastor Jeff and I, when we preach, and we talk about, and, and sometimes the topic that the Holy Spirit lays on our heart only affects some folks, not, not completely all of us. But uh, this morning, uh, this, uh, this psalm about temptation, we're, we're all in that, in that group of people that are tempted. Every human is, actually. And we go to Psalms, which is the greatest collection of songs, prayers, and poetry ever put together. It's the most fascinating and powerful section of God's Word. It's the largest book in the Bible. New Testament quotes it 75 times. Paul quotes it 14 times in Romans. The book of Psalms not only contains the shortest and longest chapters of Scripture, it's the very center of the Bible. It's antedated only by Genesis, Ruth, and Job. There's 150 poems comprise this book and has brought joy and comfort and strength to believers for thousands of years. Has anybody in here ever been touched by the book of Psalms? Amen. Amen. 16 of these Psalms deal with the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, God's Messiah. And Christ starts in Genesis and like I've said before, he weaves like a red thread, a scarlet thread through the entire Bible. And there are 16 mentions in, in, uh, in, in Psalms. In Psalm 91, when we get to the messianic part, it, it, it tells the temptation of Christ and the battle that he was victorious over in the wilderness as he fought his arch enemy, which is Satan. A battle that if we're honest, you and I fight every day. There's not a day goes by that we're not in this cosmic struggle with the, the prince of darkness because he, he puts these things in front of us. He makes our mud holes. He illuminates them, shines a big light on them, and tries to draw us back away from Christ into that old life that hopefully we've left behind, you see. That is the battle that we face every day. And in this psalm, as Christ fought Satan and was victorious, he gives us the tools on how to do that. The know-how, if you will. Moses is the author of Psalm 90 and probably the author of 91 as well because the two go together. They cor correspond with the book of Numbers and are a commentary of the experience of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Both begin with a divine dwelling place. Psalm 90 ends with a sevenfold prayer. Psalm 91 ends with a sevenfold promise. The seven promises are the answer to the seven prayers. Here is the theme of, theme of Psalm 91. God's protection in the midst of danger. God doesn't promise us a free world from danger, but he does promise to help us when we face danger and temptation. Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare of the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I am trusting in him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from the fatal plague. He will shield you with his wings. He will shelter you with his feathers. His pro faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor fear the dangers of the day, nor dread the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. But you will see it with your eyes. You will see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your dwelling, for he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. 
They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and I'll give them my salvation. You can outline Psalm 91 in three parts. One, the divine protection, verses one through four. Two, satanic perils and dangers, verses five through 13. And then three, divine promises, 14 through 16. In this Psalm, sinful man is permitted to hear the sweet conversation between the three persons of the indescribable Trinity. The Spirit in verses one, the Son, verse two, the Spirit, verses three, 13, and the Father, verses 14 through 16. The Psalm can be applied in the Messianic, when it talks about the temptation of Christ. In Joshua and Caleb, two spies, survivors of the wilderness, and the believer today, that is you and I. Part one, the divine protection, verses one through four. The secret place of the Most High. The Spirit mentions four names of God, a galaxy of titles, each within a specific precious meaning. The Most High, in the Hebrew, El Elyon, used by Melchizedek in Genesis 14 and Daniel 4, used mostly in relation to the Gentiles, Deuteronomy 32.8. Shaddai, Almighty, used by Jacob and Job, the provider, the all-sufficient one. Jehovah, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Elohim, the creator, Genesis 1.1. He that makes his home in the secret place of El Elyon shall abide, shall lodge, shall spend the night under the shadow of Shaddai. I will say of Jehovah, he is my refuge, my fortress, my Elohim. In him will I trust. These four magnificent titles of God describing his majesty, glory, power, and compassion and tenderness are the resources and the hiding place for every timid and stressed child of God. Is there any stress in the body of Christ today? Have any of you stressed? Do you experience stress? Stress will kill you. You go out of town on the right, notice the big billboard right there past pig implement. It talks a little bit about stress, what it does to us. And here we are with the promises of God that we can take this stress daily, hourly, by the minute, and lay it at the foot of the cross and let him carry it for us. But how many of us do that? Yeah. This is the thing about the promises of God. We know they're there yes, and we believe them. Why do we not act upon them? That's, that's my point this morning. It's the same issue we, we get in here with our enemy, Satan, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But we are, we live in a stressful world. And I'll tell you what, if anything else, the enemy wants to stress you to the max. He wants to get you to the point that you just can't hardly handle it. Well, let's see. What will I do today because I'm so stressed out? I'll get a quart of Jack Daniels and drink that, and then I won't be stressed anymore. I'll feel like you know what in the morning, but for just this moment. Well, maybe if I smoke a joint, that that will calm me out. Yeah, it might for the minute, but I'll tell you something about drugs and alcohol that I learned in my own life. Every toke that you take, every pill, every line of dust that you snort, every ounce of alcohol that you consume into your body, 
It is opening this giant door for Satan. Because, my friends, when we lose control of our faculties, he has a heyday. <laughs> and that's what happens. We, we know that. There are four descriptions of this hiding place that we need to go to, that we need to know where it's at, that we need to return to it often. It's a secret place known only to God and his children. A mighty fortress It's impregnable. When you are in this hiding place with the Lord God Almighty, nothing can break in there, not even Satan himself, because you are in tune with him. Thirds, a bird nest covered by the wings of its mother. A beautiful simile used of creation, the Passover, the tabernacle, Ruth by David in the Psalms, and by our Lord in Matthew 23. Moses could see the eagle in the desert of Sinai with its mighty wings and claws and beak protecting its young in the nest. And then fourthly, a soldier's equipment, armor, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. We have this same idea of shelter in the wings of the cherubim over the mercy seat in the holiest of holies in the tabernacle and in the Shekinah cloud of glory covering the tabernacle. Theodore Beza, the reformer and Bible translator, when dying, went back to the three person, personal pronouns of verse two. My refuge, my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. They were the last words out of his mouth before God stopped his heart and he exited that body and went to be with Christ. What will your last words be? You ever thought about it? Because it's coming for us. <laughs> we're not going to get out of it. The only way we're going to get out of it is as Christ hollers and blows that trumpet and takes us out of here, but we don't have any guarantees when that will happen. Moses, Elijah, David, Paul, and John were well acquainted with this secret place. And it's available for you and I. And I pray, my friends, this morning that you have it. That you have that place where you can get along with God. In the days of the persecution of the covenants in Scotland, a group of saints were having a secret breaking of the bread on the moors. About a scout suddenly reported, the soldiers are coming. Old Sandy, the preacher, dropped to his knees and cried, O Lord, cover old Sandy and his flock with the shadow of thy wing. Then a thick mist came down and blanketed them from the view, and the soldiers passed by. It's divine protection. Second part of Psalm 91, satanic perils and dangers. Verses 5 through 13, the wilderness experience. We've all had them. Maybe you're in one now. Ten enemies here are mentioned in three categories. Ten enemies that Satan brings upon us. First, the weapons of the enemy. Terrors of the night, fear and anxiety. Satan attacks us with these at night when we are not distracted. In the day, we are distracted. Things are going around us all the time. If not, we have a cell phone that we're on. Who, who in here doesn't have a cell phone? I don't see, you know, you don't, not very many. There's a few. But, it, but it's become such a part of our life that we have distractions well, I don't sleep with my cell phone. I know some of you do. Actually, you've probably moved your spouse out so your phone could sleep with you. Who knows? But anyhow, it's, it's who we are in this world. But when you think about that, if there's a time that's ripe for the enemy to attack you, it's at night when you lay down in your bed and you're trying to go to sleep. And that's the terrors of the night. 
The dangers of the day, King James Version calls these arrows. It's the fiery darts of Satan from Ephesians 6, 16. Secondly, bodily sickness. Do not dread the plagues that stalk in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. This was referring back to the book of Numbers. It, it describes the various plagues that overtake the people in the wilderness, all of them brought on by their own folly and sin. In the rebellion of Korah, 14,700 people died. And you know how God took them? He opened up the earth and just swallowed them up because of their sin. In the plague that followed their sin with the women of Moab, 24,000 died. Numbers 25, 9. And here's an astounding figure to me. Astounding. At the end of 40 years, out of the 600,000 men that came out of Egypt... Do you know how many entered the promised land and survived out of 600,000? Two. <laughs> Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, and that was it. Thirdly, wild beasts. He mentions lions, poisonous snakes, adders. King James Version uses dragons in verse 13 for servant, serpent. These are the figures used of Satan in the scripture. The liar, lion devours, 1 Peter 5, 8. The serpent or adder is the most subtle, Genesis 3.1. The dragon is the persecutor, Revelation 12.13. In this section of the Psalms, it's a passage used by Satan and the temptation of Christ. It's the same approach that he used with Eve in the garden. He misquoted the word of God and then he added to it. That's always a danger in this day and age in which we live. Somebody will misquote the word or add to it. A person that you have placed in high esteem or that you respect who has gained your confidence. That's why, my friends, you need to know this yourself. You need to read this. You hear somebody preach. You hear a passage of scripture. You hear it explained. You go study for yourself and see if we're on the, on the, on the right path, so to speak. And I would always welcome you to come and discuss that with me. Let's look at the temptation of Christ in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. So the first act of our Lord after his baptism in the Jordan at the beginning of his public ministry was to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. It doesn't mean that there was any compulsion against his will. He knew he had to do it, so he went. As the last Adam he was to be tested where the first Adam had failed, but the conditions are in contrast. The first temptation was in a perfect environment. I don't know if you and I have ever been in a perfect environment. There are places on earth, I suppose, you could go that it was close with the smell of the air that's never been touched by human hands or pollution. It's, it's an interesting concept. But that's where Adam was tested. You contrast that to Jesus. He was, he was tested in the desert. And after he had fasted for 40 days. That first temptation had to do with it's addressed to the body, the soul, and the spirit to Adam. Likewise, that to our Lord, the first had to do with appetite. He was desperately hungry, Matthew 4, 3, and 4. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, change these stones into loaves of bread. 
But Jesus told him, no. The scripture says people need more than bread for their life. They must feed on every word of God. Second temptation was addressed to ambition. Matthew 4, 5 through 6. Here's where the misquote comes in. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scripture says he orders his angels to protect you and they will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on a stone. That was Matthew 4, 5 and 6. Here's Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. Satan left that out. They will hold you with their hands to keep you from striking your foot on the stone. The devil's never more dangerous when, than when he quotes or misquotes the word of God. Our Lord's answer was in verse 7. The scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. Jesus never did anything to impress the crowd. This isn't God's way. A, a lot of people want love, signs, and wonders. And I do as well. But God doesn't do that to put on a show. If he does anything in that nature, he does it to show his power and his glory and his majesty, that only he could do that. Third temptation concerns adoration. Next, the devil took him to the peak of the very high mountain and showed him the nations of the world and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you'll only kneel down and worship me. And in verse 10, Jesus' response, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You see, these words are words that you and I can use when the tempter comes. Hey, God will forgive you. Why don't you go ahead and do this? Why don't you go waller in the mud a little bit? He'll bring you right out and clean you right up. And here, my friends, is where we need to take him. Get out of here, Satan. For the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You and I have power over the prince of darkness. We have power over every demon that was ever swept out of heaven with Satan's tail when a third of the angels fell with him. We have power over that in the name of Christ. But you and I have to get to the point where we have enough confidence in God that we believe what we're saying, you see. We have power over him. There's an important difference between Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam was created and prior to his sin was innocent. Our Lord was uncreated, eternal son of God, and was holy. We cannot separate his two distinct natures, his essential deity and his perfect sinless manhood. He is God with skin on. It's my favorite description. When we try to picture in these weak, finite minds what the glorious God of heaven looks like sitting on the throne and what he is like, we find all that as we read of Jesus. It's Jesus was him. We want to know God the Father. You've got to know the Son. Scripture tells us he was sinless. John says in him was no sin. 1 John 3, 5. Peter says he did no sin. 1 Peter 22. Paul says he knew no sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He was the lamb without blemish, 1 Peter 1, 19. He was in all points tempted like we are, but never sinned. In him there was no enemy to open the door, no evil fallen nature on which the enemy could work like he does on you and I, because Jesus didn't have a mud hole to return to. The method he used in overcoming Satan is available to all. It is written, it is written. 
the sword of the spirit. The word of God has edges on both sides. So either way you swing it, it cuts. That's the point that you and I have power over Satan and everything that he wants to have you to do in your life that will destroy you or your family or your church, whatever. We have power over him with this and all we have to do is know it and quote it. Praise God for that. Praise God for this. That I don't have to wallow in the mud unless I want to. I have power over that, you see. You know, I've told this story a lot, but it, it struck me. Uh, I used to go to a Moody's pastor's conference. And I went to, they had breakout sessions, and there was a session on demonology and angelology that you could go to. And, and this guy, as he spoke, you just, you were... You were captured with rapt attention on some of the stories that he told and some of the places that God had led him into. Do people have, that were demonized, that, that were in, contorted, in uh, contortions, uh, fits, thrown downstairs, on and on and on. And he says, you know what? In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go in and we can read this word and we can say, in Jesus' name, come out of that person and you go to the bottomless pit. <laughs> we have that power over Satan. What, what, are we, what are we to be afraid of? You see, that is the point. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain regardless of what that chain is, you see. The word is our weapon. Psalm 91, 13. You will trample down lions and poisonous snakes. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. They have a direct reference to Genesis 3.15. This is where we see Jesus introduced in the Old Testament. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. Satan was soundly defeated at the temptation in the wilderness. But it was at the cross that his head was crushed and his power over death was completely annulled. Hebrews 2.14. Paul could comfort the saints in Rome with the words... The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Romans 16, 20. The passion of Christ down toward the end of that movie when Christ was at Calvary. When he died and when he arose, it showed Satan in the wilderness on his knees, eyes in terror, screaming and screeching at the top of his voice because he knew he'd been defeated. He was, he was done. He had no more power over the over death. Christ had won the final victory. And that's the hope for us. The hope for us. Diane and I was with my sister and her husband uh, Friday. And Howard was laying there in a hospital bed in a comatose state. And we prayed with him. But it was the hope that was in me when I had a hold of his hand, knowing that he was God's child. And there was no fear in him that he was waiting. He was waiting for the word. Hey, Howard, got your room ready. Come on up. And that's, that's our hope, that that'll be us someday, regardless of the situation whether we are killed instantly in some accident or whatever, or if we go through some lingering illness, we will be waiting for the word to come on home. Praise God for that. 
Praise his name. That, that's, that's, the hope, that's the hope that was in us. And then the last part of the psalm is God's promises, verses 14 through 16. Here we have the, for, the voice of God the Father seven times, and we have the words, I will. And these words are for us. They are things he did for his beloved son, but also for us. Verse 14 through 16, the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. Promise one's his love. There's six people the scripture said Jesus loves. He loved Martha, loved her sister, loved her brother Lazarus, the rich young ruler, the apostle John, disciple whom Jesus loved. Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, he loved me and gave himself for me. And the seventh, we can put our name, individual names, and say, he loves me, blessed be his name. Can you say that with me? He loves me, blessed be his name. One more time. He loves me, blessed be his name. Second promise, his name. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. This could be applied to the Lord Jesus in his resurrection and exaltation of God's right hand. But we too know and enjoy the meaning of the name at the beginning of this psalm that you and I can be lifted out of this dreary world and enter into peace and rest in the secret place of the Most High. That we feel that special, that we are in the presence of God Almighty. And at that time, it's just him and me. No distractions around in communion. Promise three is prayer. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Again, the Lord hears our prayers. And how often have you and I in our lives got to that point when we're in that crucial situation and we cry out to God and he, he reassures us. Yeah. Promise four, be with us in trouble. I will be with him in trouble, the psalm says. Job said, man, born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. But in contrast, the Savior said, let our hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. What a comfort it is to have the presence of the Lord with us in trouble. We live in trouble. We get ourselves in trouble. <laughs> but he's there with us. Promise five, honor and deliverance. I will deliver him and honor him. The word declares, them that honor me, I will honor. 1 Samuel 2.20. This is illustrated in the lives of Moses, Joseph, and Daniel and the experience of many others. Promise six, long life. With long life will I satisfy him. In spite of the 70 to 80 years predicted as frail man's lifespan in Psalm 90:10, Moses lived 120 years, and at the end his eye was not dimmed nor his natural force abated. Joshua lived 110 years. Caleb at 85 asked for a tough task. He took on the three sons of Anak and captured Hebrew in the royal city in Joshua 14. It's mentioned in Ephesians 6 as well. And then promise 7, and give them my salvation. But you and I are not responsible for our sin when we give it to Christ. He cleanses us and makes us clean. Salvation has three tenses, past, present, and future. Deliverance from the penalty and the power and the presence of sin. We talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. Can you imagine if we got what we deserved? From the sin in your life, 
when you reach that age of accountability to where you are now, if God held us responsible for every wrong thought, bad word, bad action, on and on and on. But in that one moment of confession, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Boom, it's gone. Clean. No slate, no nothing. No holding against you. That's an amazing thing to me. A Scotch preacher preached a sermon with three vital points. First John 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. And he exclaimed, there's my sins away. Psalm 55.22, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. And he cried, that's my burdens away. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.17, called up to meet the Lord in the air and he concluded, that's myself away. God gives divine protection. God protects his children from the dangers of Satan. He gives us power over him. He gives us his promises. He has shown us how to each day fight our temptations and be victorious. Are you living in the shelter of the Almighty? I can see my shadow on this stage and it moves when I move and it moves. And I like that concept that any time during the day I can look down and see my shadow in the sun but also <laughs> this huge shadow around me. It's the shadow of the Almighty. And I pray that you live in that shadow and if not, I ask you why. God's promise that for you, that you can rest in his shadow. As always, it's, it's a crucial time at the end of when you read your Bible or when you hear a message, because it's crucial what you do with what I said to you this morning. It's not so much that I'm speaking or Pastor Jeff is speaking or regardless, it's the Holy Spirit speaks through the likes of us. And he speaks to you. And he speaks to you in his word. And, and he, he tells you things. And he convicts us. It, it's what we do with that's the most important thing. God has said something to each one of us this morning. Now you can ignore it. You can think about it. Or you can act upon it. I don't know what that is. I pray everybody here knows Christ as their Savior. And if you don't, you can accept him. But it's, it's great to come to this altar. It's a release. It, it's, it's an act of laying that sin down at the feet of Christ and getting up and leaving it and leaving a new person, you see. So this morning, if you need Christ in your life, you come down here and somebody will show you how. We love you. If you need prayed with, if you've got a burden that you want to act that out and leave it at the foot of the cross, please do that. But my friends who I love with all my heart, just, just be obedient. Yes. Leave this place. And when you get outside, you look down and you see that you are in the shadow of the Almighty. And when you go to bed tonight, you see that shadow over your bed. And when you get up in the morning where you go to work, you're driving down the road, you see that shadow over your car and at your place of work that it's important that you see that. He who rests in the shadow of the Almighty. So, Lord, I love you. 
I thank you for this time. I thank you for these folks, Lord, that you have brought in and made your family. I pray, God, that we are obedient children, that whatever you have said to us, that we will act upon it, whether it's confession, a word of praise, whatever, but we give it to you before we leave and we leave this place free. For we do ask these in your things in your precious name. Amen.